Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Latitudes and Session Podcast. With me today in the hotel studio is none other than Greg Litzinger. Greg, yeah. thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. It's a little interesting day. Yeah, it's been awesome. So for those of you that don't know, we uh, drove out here seven hours and decided to spend a day out in a salt marsh with Greg and learn as much as we could and film as much as we could. We found tons of buck beds. We yeah. found tons of good sign, tons of tree stands. A little different uh change of pace scenery for you it was really cool yeah it was way different than i expected um it's difficult man yeah. i think that it's really cool that you can get it done out here at a high level and it's it takes a lot i mean it takes somebody that's very detail oriented for yes. sure it's it's a labor of love i guess yeah no doubt about it so let's get right into it man i have a bunch of different topics that we kind of went through throughout the day um all right it was like i said an awesome day so i want to start off by really i mean we were in the salt marshes yeah. and your go-to method out there is just locating buck beds and trying yep. to figure out how to dissect those and find weaknesses and mm -hmm. target those deer based on that. So yes. I'd like to get right into that. I'd like to start out um, just kind of like a high level understanding of how you're even locating a bed. Um, aerial photos, you know, uh, take it back 15 plus years ago, it was boots on the ground or waders on the ground, I should say, and just walking edges and checking islands. You know, most bedding, like in the mountains, it's going to be a spot where the buck has advantage. Wind, thermal, sight. You know, um, the one thing that the reeds has that the you know, mountains don't have is the visual isn't there because you sat in some of those beds. They can't really see much. They can watch their back trail, and that's pretty much it. So that took me a long time to figure out um, how to deer were coming in and out of you know, a singular bed. Yeah, and there's something to be said about doing it before there was a lot of maps or all yeah. this, yeah. all this technology that we have now. You know, just being able to go out and put the leather yeah. down and, and and now it's easy. Like that bed we were in the, the Buck Lounge, that was just by sheer luck I found that bed, and it's a phenomenal bed. You know, but now I pull up on a map, you boom, you know, you can see it. As soon as you see it, you're like there's a bed, and you can see the trail coming out of the bed. So it's 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 made finding beds easier, but also for everybody. So it has really changed uh, how some of these deer use the beds. They're a lot more cautious, you know, and I, I think they're a lot more strategic coming in and coming out of these beds than they were, say, 10 years ago. So what are you doing to combat the fact that everybody can find these beds now using, like, these new maps? Your access. That's key. You know, 
I like water access, you know, or like in the mountains, you know, you'll take the, the two mile route around to make sure you're not bumping that deer out for you even get a chance to set up on them. And a lot of people, you've seen all the, the quick ladder stands close to the road and stuff like that, easy access. That buck knows that. Those does know that, you know. So it's like you have to do something other hunters aren't and take the long way, you know, either walking through waist deep, pitch black, <laughs> title, uh, a title flat, you know, knee deep or whatever to get to these beds or you come in by boat. Yeah, and so the, to see your different accesses based on a morning or an afternoon yep. set was really interesting to me. Let's cover your morning access routes a little bit. So uh, to paint the picture, we found a buck bed today that was on a north-facing point yes. and basically just jutting out into a big marsh. Uh, so he beds right on the end, like just off the end of it, and with any sort of southwest wind is kind of how you're targeting that deer. Yes. So how would you access that spot in the morning? I would, you know, ride the tide basically. You know, check the tide. You know, some of those beds, depending on on the, the food that's available, if there's ag, I would definitely wait till mid-October before I started hunting them. Once the leaves started falling down, they might bed in these uh, spots a little more frequently because, you know, their their cover is getting blown out, you know, closer to the field. Head. So ride the tide in, catch it just right. You know, say you got first light at 6.30, high tide's at 4. I'm riding the tide all the way in setting up you know and, and dragging up dragging canoe or kayak pretty much right to the base of the tree and climbing up and sitting there all day until the tide's coming back to take me back to the truck it's not when it's when it when it works it's phenomenal <laughs> when it doesn't it's a long day in the tree because you can't leave because well there's no water to take you home yeah that makes a ton of sense and the one thing that i took away from what you said about your morning access too when we were out in the field was the fact that you're doing your best job to not like cross over all the different yes. travel routes, yes. you know, that you're trying is, to just be key. as minimal as possible. Yes. And anybody that's hunting out of a canoe or a kayak, if, if you can just launch, get out and you hunt your tree, you increase your odds of maybe getting numerous sits out of that tree because you're not crossing any trail. You're, you're, you're set. The ground scent is minimal, you know, and when a tide comes in, most of your ground set's going to be washed away with the tide. So, yeah, yeah, I completely agree, and that's exactly what I saw out there. So, as far as afternoon sits go, how do, how does your process change with that? Um, I usually like land based. I have to park and like everybody else does, and try and set up in a spot within you know eighty yards where I think that buck might be coming out. You know, and you see some of those beds are they go out into that marsh and and come back up in, so they can pretty much do that anywhere. So it's basically trial and error, and a lot of you know reading the sign like big tracks you, know, you walk that edge you look for a big track all right i know there's an entry into this field here i'm gonna set up here you know and if that don't work next you know next evening just move 50 yards down to the next trail until that little area is done and then move on to the next basically you know like hunting beds in the mountains and everywhere else yeah and so you're bouncing down through those points based on wind direction like you yes. want to start with the wind in your face so if it's a western wind for example or a southwest, you yep. would want to start on the eastern points and just work your way yep. west. Yep, and just stay at that crosswind and get really kind of really aggressive, more aggressive than most people are willing to do. But, you know, you've seen some of the spots where that buck might get out 60 yards, it's open timber, so he's not going to hang out in that open timber. He's going to get to that open timber right at dark. So if I'm 100 yards away, like, I'm, you know, I'm just wasting my time basically. Yeah. yeah. So I, I go all in every sit. You know, very rare do I sit back and like, let me just play this cool and see what's happening. 
that's just not my style. Like I want to get in there and like we talked earlier, if I mess it up, I want to be the person to mess it up, not somebody else. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I do the same thing in the hills yeah. where it's, I try to have this entire theory built up in my head on this buck's bedded right here and he's going to come down to either this scrape or this food source yeah. and I'm just going to swing for the fences. Yeah, exactly. And if I blow it out, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And the things you learn from that blowout, that mistake can help you next time. You know, like too aggressive, six yards, all right, that might be too close. All right, I'll go back to 80 and that's where I'll start hunting in that whole area about 80 yards. Yep. And the other thing I found really interesting was the fact that those deer will travel to and from those beds a from different points yeah. through the marsh itself and then b sometimes right down the center of it depending yeah. on how it sets up yes it's uh older bucks i know this is gonna get a lot of flack for this but some of these older bucks avoid trees huntable trees you know like a clump of islands you know smaller trees they got no problem going on but anything you can put a stand in some of these older bucks like i watched it happen they'll just come out and just just skirt right on around 89 yards downwind of you know an island where at some point in time, somebody was probably hunting. He probably busted a hundred arrow, got shot at or something. But that's, it goes against a lot of people's theories, but huntable trees in the marsh equals danger to somebody's bucks. That's seen a few seasons, you know, in Jersey, you can kill five bucks the long season. So these deer are pressured from September to January. Yeah, and so the sign on some of these points would like some of them had a ton of sign and it seemed like those points were the ones that didn't have a ladder stand on them. Yeah, and exactly. We'd, we'd get on, onto a point that had a ladder stand and it's like, there's an absence no. of sign. There's yes. nothing at all. Yeah, they avoid them. Nighttime activity. You, if you ran a camera, you probably get a lot of nighttime activity or younger bucks, younger does. But even like some of these older mature does, like they just avoid humans in general. And even you got group eight does, nine does, that one lead doe, like she's always knows where everybody's at. Like, she knows where the ladder stands are and they'll look at them, you know, they'll avoid them, they're super cautious around them. And that's just a, that's a tough nut to crack. So the one thing that I found really interesting was the attention to detail that you have on entry and exit routes. Um, you know, I've never looked into it that far. Like you were looking into a lot of different things. You were looking into, like we talked about the, the track direction, the tine marks on trees yes. to and from any sort of like the way the fragmites were bent out yep. in the swamp. Um, you want to elaborate on some of those a little yeah, bit? Yeah, just, uh, you know, devil's in the details. You know, it's out in the marsh, you know, there's an entry into a bed and an exit into a bed more times than not. And the hard part is trying to decipher that. And you look at, you know, a buck's leaving his bed. He's going to carry maybe some frag with him, some reeds out. And there's gonna, they're going to shake it off somewhere. So if you find a big clumps of reeds, that's where they're coming into the mainland. All right, that's an entry or yeah, an entry into mainland, which is probably an exit from a bed. So you, you take those things into account, you know, and, and you have a clump of reeds, then you have tracks pointing that direction. You know, you know, that's where he's going out. So like, all right, this is probably an evening set or he's coming through there like an exit route on his way to the food or, or something or vice versa. You get tracks coming into a bed, you know, heading in the direction to bed. You can t probably tell like, all right, he's coming into the bed this way. But why is he coming into bed this way? Or what wind? You know, and you got to sit there and just break down every possible scenario, which it's a lot. There's a lot to take in sometimes, and it, it scares a lot of people because there's a lot of data. You look at a bed. You can spend. I could spend two hours in every bed and run through so many, so many different scenarios. You know, look for time marks. Look for hair. Why is the hair? You know, back hair against this tree. You know, all right, he's bedded in this direction. I thought he was bedded this way, but I got dark hair leaning against this tree all right well he's facing here well that changes 
how I thought this bed was going to get used. So you're like, all right, back to the drawing board. Why is this happening? Walk out of the bed and, and try and decipher that, break that bed down. So it's, uh, it's a lot to take in for some people. Yeah, it definitely can be. And I kind of experienced that. Uh, you had a really unique tactic for trying to determine what, what route a deer was taking as well. Do you want to cover that a little bit? Cause I found this, it was like a light bulb moment for me. Oh, the, the scraping the ground. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to show my age. Like we said, talked about earlier, but before trail cameras, you would just find a spot in the trail, you know, scrape the leaves away on three or four spots of trail and try and see which way the tracks are going. You know, say you got the trail splits and there's some bedding, you know, you, you didn't nail down his singular bed, but there's bedding in there. Well, you got trails going up in this, well, you wipe out two or three sections of leaves and you come back in a couple of days, you're going to see which ones are getting used, which one's not getting used at directional travel. So that's something we did, you know, many, many moons ago <laughs> and it, it works to this day. I still use it. You know, if I know I'm going to be back here in a couple of days, I'll, I'll take the leaves out. You know, it's like looking at a scrape. You can tell which way that buck's coming into that scrape. It's like the same thought process, you know, and most people will step right over bare ground in the dirt not really think too much of it so you can get intel without telling the world that you're here with a camera you know or like markers whatever you might be using so yeah it was really cool and you know like we walked down that one point and there was a ladder stand and a trail camera and yeah. to me it was like okay somebody's hunting right here yeah. immediately but if i walked up on just some leaves scratched away there's no way that i would ever assume that greg yes. was out there exactly know, doing that you know and the it's like ditch crossings you, know, you just drive down a dirt country dirt road and look at a ditch crossing you can tell which way you know they're going, coming and going. So, basically, same, same idea, just on flat ground. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. So, we kind of covered like how you're locating some of these beds and how you're determining the access routes to and from, and how these deer are using it to travel. What I want to get into next is how you're actually locating a deer that you want to chase. You know, I'm assuming you're a lot like me, and you have hundreds of locations that you've scouted and too, kind of in the back many. of your head. <laughs> and uh, so, so how do you narrow that down throughout the summer to kind of find the areas that you want to target? Lots of, you know, back in the day, it was lots of driving, lots of glass and spotlighting. And now it's a mixture of cameras and spotlighting and, and driving. So trying to find a good buck, you know, like, all right, there's, I'll start really looking in July, you know, because you, you get a good idea of what a buck's going to be, you know, what type of frame he's going to have. And it's like, all right, and I'm not a, it has to be 150 inch steer. I'm just looking for a mature. If I see a big body and a, and a decent rack, that's all I need, you know, and then I'll maybe deploy a few cameras here and there, you know, bean field or cornfield corner or something, you know, and if there's no ag, then I look for openings in, you know, the wood lot, something that's going to narrow deer down like a bottleneck in the summertime, you know, browse or whatever, and just look for tracks, you know, wait for a rainstorm, old school scouting, wait for a, a windy rainy day, go out and if you got to bump the deer, then so be it. At least you have an idea that deer, that a good buck is in the area. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I kind of follow the same type of strategy. Like I'll put my cameras out in anticipation of the acorn shift in yeah. a lot of these areas in the big woods. And as summer progresses, if I glass a good deer, I probably already have that area scouted and yeah. that's why I'm glassing. And I can run in and throw a camera or two up to try mm -hmm. to figure out exactly where he's at. Or if he's big enough and I feel like I have the intel, I'll just take that shot opening yeah. day. Yeah. It's, uh, like we, I want to be the first one in, you know, within reason, you know, I don't want to force a deer in the you know, hiding the first sit, you know, if I force him into hiding, I want it because I made a mistake, not because I was too aggressive and overreached. You know, like, 
especially getting really close to beds in the evening, you have to be a hundred percent. Like you can't be like, if you're 120 yards out, you need to be a hundred. You know, you probably blew your opportunity as a deer. He's got somewhat, he's probably going to catch your scent somehow, some way ground scent or, or, you know, air scent and he's gone and you put him on high alert, which already made an impossible situation <laughs> even more impossible. So something that I struggle with quite a bit is trying to find a balance between aggressiveness and then having the proper conditions. Yeah. And how do you try to balance that? I get a little too, I won't say too aggressive. I, I'll push an envelope almost every sit. And if the wind's 100% for the deer and, you know, let's just say 50% for me, if I know they're going to be shifting because of acorns or the beans are turning, you know, starting to turn, I'll go in. Even like almost point of wrong wind because I'm going to risk it because they're going to be moving anyway. So it's like go all in on those, you know, scenarios. But if I'm going to like tiptoe my way in, I'll want to like, you hunt it in blocks. I got three days. I'm going to hunt this section kind of move down and move down, get aggressive, not to the point where I think I'm going to cross, you know, I'm more worried about ground scent than air scent, you know, personally. So I'm very careful at my entry and exits out of the woods. And then we talked about it earlier. You know, if you got to sit way after dark, then you sit way after dark. You know, if you got to take the long way in out, you take the long way in or out. So. No, that's a, that's a perfect analogy. I totally understand that. And uh, you know, there's a lot of factors for me as well. Like one thing I look at is the amount of hunter pressure I think that area is going to get. If it's an area that I think is going to get hit in the first couple of days, I'll take the risk with those mm -hmm. bad conditions because I just, I want yep. to be the first person in there so bad. That's that, that first sit is definitely your best yep. chance at a lot of these big mature deer. I mean, my first big deer I killed, you know, it, I passed on him on my birthday, September 30th. And they started cutting the, uh, the beans down. He was still going into these beans, cutting this corner. And it was like October 6th. The wind was, everything was wrong. But I was like, I'm killing this deer tonight. So I hunted specifically, wrong wind. I came through the beans right to my tree. I was going to cross the trail. They were running. I'm like, but well, if he comes out either way, he's going to stop here and I'm going to kill him. I don't care what the wind is. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Like everything you shouldn't do, I'm like, well, I'm throwing it out the window. If I would have waited, you know, he would have been gone. The beans would have been gone. I never would have killed him. And I've had, I've done that a few times where I'm like, well, it's all or nothing. I'm going to hunt the wrong wind. This, I'm going all, all in on this and I'll kill, which is, goes against what you should be doing. But you know, they're going to move or pressure's coming in. You got to go, you know, even if it's wrong, just go in because you might get lucky. <laughs> yep. I completely agree. And I can think of a bunch of times where I had like the, you know, bad conditions yep. that didn't set up right or down in a hub, for example, with like a crosswind yep. in hill country. And it starts swirling around. I'm like, well, you know what? All I need is I need to get lucky for five seconds that's when it. he rolls through yeah. here and, and I'm willing to risk it. And most people won't do that. And you've seen some 10,000 acres. I blow that spot out. Well, I'll just go right down. Yeah. 150 yards down. I got another spot. So it's like, it's not that big of a deal to blow out. Like I don't have, you know, if I had 150 acres to 500 acres, it'd be a different story, you know, cause I don't want to push that deer off the property, but it's all public. So. If I blow him out here, most likely he's staying on public just further down the road. So I just bomb on down the road. Yep. And that kind of, at least in my experience, when I, when I start getting in that sort of hunting mode, I almost feel like I'm stacking some of these bedding yep. areas. Do you see the same thing? Yeah. You'll, I'll notice that with, with pressure because you got the, the stand hunters then we got bird hunters where they'll start pushing these deer down to certain spots. You know, and anybody that loves their dogs will not put them in giant sticker, you know, briar patches. There's a few briar patches where we were like further down the road. I mean, it sucks to walk in. Well, that's where the bucks end up. 
you know, most hunters' dogs are not going to go in there, or a good hunter is not going to put his, you know, two thousand, five thousand dollar dog in a briar patch to kill a few rabbits or a few pheasants. So those spots become honey holes for bucks. It sucks for us to getting in and out of there, but that's where the buck's going to be. So I can use bird hunters or duck hunters' pressure, knowing that you know when the season starts, then bucks are going to just go right on down this way, and it makes the job a little easier sometimes. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So. The next thing I want to get into is something that I think you excel at, and that's going to be picking the kill tree. You know, we're in a lot of these spots, and the first thing that I noticed is there's cover everywhere. There's sticks all over the place. You don't have any shooting lanes in a lot of these areas. So when you're accessing a spot, how are you deciding on the kill tree? Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com That's a... You know, a buck's going to come out of his bed, and he's going to stop at a certain point. And usually that's right when the cover gets sparse. You know, if he's coming out of bed, it's super thick cover like that one we came out, and then it just got really open. Well, he's going to stop right there. So that's going to be my key. Like, all right, here's the first open spot on this trail. Most likely he's going to pause. And then it's like, all right, 40 yards from here, where do I need to be? You know, if it's 30 yards, then it's 30 yards. But I want to be able to shoot into that pause where he's going to be like, let me just look around a little bit. You know, and that's the moment you need because I don't want to mat or do anything to him. I want to be able to just shoot him while he's licking himself or just like looking looking around because the last thing you want to do is make that deer. He's already on edge, you know, make him even bigger edge. So it's just for me, I like to get 40 yards from those openings or under. And that uh, 40 yards is a, is a comfortable shot for me. I got no problem shooting that even under you know, a high stress situation. And that is just something that I've learned throughout the years. Like people that shoot recurve might be a little bit different, you know, but us compound shooters, we can, we have the luxury of like stepping it back a little bit, which makes those scenarios a little easier uh, to pull off. Yeah. There's definitely a little more range there and you practice a lot. Yeah. You know, you're a guy that shoots yeah. your ball all the time. So I know that's, that's uh easy shot for you. Um, the thing that was really interesting to me about the way that you kind of decided to pick that one tree was that the fact that when that buck came out of the bed, it was like a single point that he was hitting and yeah. then his trails dispersed yes. into, you know, two and then yeah. four and yeah. then six trails. And it was really interesting that you decided 
the trail right at the edge of the transition yes. and that single point was going to be the spot to set up yes. even though you couldn't really get that close because of where the buck was yes. bedded yeah you know this point that you wanted to kill him at you want to shoot him at was 20 yards yes. from the bed mm-hmm. so the fact that you can get that close is really impressive and we talked about a couple things yes. right like the wind yes. that you'll have for the day high, high wind high wind days or, or good days to get really aggressive cloudy you know possible rain coming in or right after rain they'll sneak in real quiet and it's a slow process it's not a race if it takes me you know an hour to go 50 yards and that's what it is you know and setting up one stick high you're not creating a lot of movement a lot of noise disturbance you set the stick here and you can almost set your platform basically like eye level and climb in and you're really set up that tree's blocking you and you're ready to go so who so comes out there's no you know, hesitation, you know, and you know exactly where he's going to be. And I think that's key to knowing where that bus can come out of that bed. Cause if he comes out and like turns or, or we're too far away and he meanders along the side, then you see him, but he's gone out of your life and never be seen again. So getting aggressive is, I think super important to get a, a, a good clean shot on a buck. Yeah. And then there was, you were using, you were utilizing the terrain around you to kind of help with your setup and i really like that as well you know we had those two fallen trees and you mentioned that you could get closer because it covers that deer like it covers your sound it covers his sight and you can not get up as high because now you have that backdrop exactly and that's like it's like hunting in the mountains like a a blowdown or like a a deep cut like it's forcing deer up and around so instead of them walking straight they have to make that slight bend and that's usually where you want to attack because that's going to they're going to look facing this way. So they're going to make that turn, go around. And then that's where you kind of set up, you know, and it was good opening shot opening and it takes their eyes, you know, off of your direction, which I think is key. You, you want, you don't want them to pull back while they're coming at you. You want to be able to, you know, they make a bend. That's when you pull back. Yeah. You know? Like you're waiting for their line of sight to change yep. at a certain direction. Yeah, as soon as their head goes this way, you're usually focusing this way. You can that slow draw, you know, and get ready to go. So what do you do in that situation? We picked, you know, we found that bed. We found what wind we think he'll be there on. We saw his exit trail 20 yards to the spot that you want to yeah. shoot. Say that buck comes out and he walks that transition further to the west and then he just walks into that ag field. What's your process there for the next night or how you're going to hunt that deer again? If, if I was close, you know, not close enough, I'd probably... I don't know, maybe the next night get in there if I can get out clean. If I came in by boat or something, I can get out clean. I would definitely hunt it the same wind. I would hunt it the same way. And in, in the I wouldn't change anything. Now, as far as your exit route out of there after your hunt, would you exit the same way you accessed? Or would you try to, like I found myself circling way around if, before to try not to blow out yeah, that food if he, source. Yeah, if he's going, say, west, I'm going east. <laughs> I'm going far east if it's, at, if it's you know, a mile out of my way so be it you know like back to the first you know big buck i killed you know the first night i i I passed him he went he came out with it yeah this way so i literally went down and around like this way like i mean like i felt like hitchhiking back to my truck but i was like i am not going anywhere where he went so next time you know same thing after i shot him i did the same thing because i'm like i know he was dead but i'm still taking the same route out because i don't want to you know have a chance of you know, maybe one lung in him or something, but I got no problem taking the long way out. And that's, you know, being a family man now, it's my wife doesn't fully understand that. Like where we were, there's no service. So sometimes I won't get home till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in early season and 
makes her nervous. But I'm like, I had bucks. I had to take the long way out. And like first first couple of times, like she was like, I was so worried. I was like, I'm fine. You know, I was like, have a little faith, you know, but taking that few extra steps is, I think is important, you know, because you only get one shot at a good deer, you know, at least for, in my opinion, like I don't see the same deer numerous times in a season. Like if I don't kill him the first time, like we were face to face, I'm probably not going to get another shot at him. You know, rarely, like, like 5%, I might get another shot at that deer. Yeah. And I think there's a bunch of different factors that would kind of make that deer shift around. Do you like, so let's assume that you didn't pressure that deer. Nobody pressured that deer and you have the exact same conditions. How often do you think that he's bedded on one specific point versus bumping around to the different ones? I've double sat a few times, you know, not often, but rarely they're bedded a week in this bed. You know, they're, you've seen those spots, there's a dozen points and a, you know, half a mile stretch of, you know, property you know so it's like they can bet here or bet here depends on you know if they're messing around at daylight oh, i got a bed so i'm gonna go in the closest bed so it's a it's as far as uh, like a number i wouldn't say very very likely they're betting in that same bed day in day out for weeks at a time and the other thing too is it seemed like every point that was there had a different food source on it you had yeah. some whites you had some reds you had yes. some persimmons yes. and then you had like a cornfield yeah. Uh, so you, do you assume that they're going to bounce around based on the specific food the hot source food, as yes. well? Yeah. Like I said, with those persimmons, there's a small little window where they're hot. They'll probably bed there. And once those persimmons are gone, you know, down the road, the oaks are dropping and that's where he's going to bed. You know, he's not going to, you know, if the bedding is good, like he'll bed closer to the food source, but sometimes they might not, you know, like he might like that one bed cause that's his bed. You know, that's where he feels the safest. He's been bumped out of there. He comes back, but I've run cameras on beds, but it's been very spotty. You know, I have better luck in the mountains with beds, you know, or, or bedding areas with cameras than in the marsh. The marsh is like, it's been there three months. I'll have five pictures of a deer in three months. So it's like, well, that's not helping me. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, all right, other cameras are a little bit more, but it's never like, all right, he's bedding here every Wednesday. So it's like, you just got to get a little, you know, have a little bit of luck and have everything lined up for you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, in the hills, it seems like bedding is more more planned. Like I can I can almost plan on a buck being bedded in the specific location if I have the correct yes. wind and the food source that I need to be hot is yes. still hot. And sometimes it seems like I can't get those deer out of that bed. Like yeah. I can bump them over yeah. and over and over, and they continue to bed in that same location. And so you're not seeing that at no. all. You're seeing as soon as there's any pressure introduced, yeah. they just vacate yes. and go so to the go, next yeah, spot. Yeah, because there's this good bedding everywhere especially like they'll bet out in the reeds some, there's some high ground out there i've seen them bet on muskrat mounds you know like anywhere where people aren't that's where they want to be and like hill country i've noticed that too the the bedding or you know mountains hill country the bedding's so good if they can get away clean they're gonna come right back because the bed is working as it should and the marsh you know it's it's noisy like sometimes you get really close to these deer and they're like you scare them you know and they're like well I'll, that bed didn't like my, I got away clean, but that person was way too close, you know? So, but that's the, I think deer dependent too. I think some deer are don't mind being bumped around. Other deer are like, Nope. See ya. Yeah. It definitely seems like some deer for whatever reason, just are willing to accept more yeah. hunter intrusion. Yeah. Some are just, and then maybe that's the way they were brought up. They, they were with their mom. They in a high human area. It was yeah. like, it's normal for them. Other ones, maybe not. They're, they came in, like, when the mom kicked them out, you know, and there were spikes or four-pointers, and it's like, I don't like pressure. You know, like, I don't like people. So it's like, I guess it's all user-specific. 
Yeah. So that was the third point that we scouted. We bumped down to the next point and we had persimmons, right? We had persimmons right away. And I thought it was really interesting how you decided to attack that little group of four or five persimmons. Um, I would have had a little different approach, I think, not just not knowing yeah. what I'm doing, to be honest yeah. with you. But do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, we're persimmons for those, I don't know, I think most people know probably where persimmon tree is. You know, there, there's a lot in the in the salt marsh. And there are little pockets. And if the, the key to finding hot persimmons is to look for them in the summertime. You know, you just got the whole edge, persimmons, you mark them, like go back, check them. All right, that tree's loaded, that tree's not. If you find a hot tree, you hunt it just like an oak tree would, like, uh, any type of food source but for me I want a deer coming from this way yeah, here's the cameras <laughs> say the persimmons are here deer coming this way I want to be before the persimmons I want the deer to come past me and I want to shoot them on their way to the persimmons I don't want to shoot them uh, on the backside of persimmons because when deer feed they're cautious they're nervous I want to get them right before they get you know on high alert ready to you know feed because once they're feeding I mean, every little noise, I mean, they're, they're jumping, they're skits. So I don't like that, you know, and we, baiting's legal in New Jersey. So whenever deer feed, they're really on high alert. So I want to get them, you know, 20, 30 yards before that. We're going to just kind of walk down the trail, cautious, wary, but not, you know, ready to run for the hills. Every little bit of noise. Yeah. So that point was North facing and right on the tip of it, we had some really good beds that had access trails. And those persimmons were on the east side of that point, but they were still yeah. like 10 yards off the transition. Yeah. So when you access, how would you try to access around those without getting your ground sent all over the place? I would walk down on that swamp edge. Right on the transition. Yeah. yeah. With all southwest wind. Yep. Because we said with good thing with the tide is tide comes up, your scent's gone. So it's like you get down in there with, you know, chest waders, hip boots are almost a must when you hunt those spots because you walk through that water, that, that mud next high tide your scent's gone so every couple hours your scent washes away it's like a rainstorm almost and a lot of people won't do that but i got no problem doing that (laughs) you know and you get close you know you rate it right at the the tide line like you're good you know you odds are the next high tide your scent's gonna wash out yeah and that was that that point specifically is more difficult to hunt in my opinion because the food source is right there where it's not 200 yards away or 300 yards away so it's kind of a one and done spot, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. you make one access in there and you're sitting there and the deer come, you know, just west of your setup yeah. and you have that southwest wind, but they're eating on those yeah. persimmons at dark when yeah. you try to get down. Yeah. So if you don't kill them and you're not perfect, I mean, yeah. that deer's going to survive. Yep, exactly. So it's like with any food source, you know, it, it's a difficult um, spot to hunt, but some of the spots you'd be surprised, you know, They'll hit those persimmons a little earlier, especially if there's ag past persimmons. They'll come in and grab a snack and, and move on. So sometimes you'd be surprised, like, they're there, you know, they, they've moved on at dark. Yeah. But there again, like, you got to stay an hour after dark, then so be it. You know, that's just, that's what we're doing here. You know, it's, you know, there's people to play, you know, checkers, people to play chess, you know. Yeah, yeah, that whatever it takes mentality, yeah. I think, is why you're so successful. And that's something that... Really, uh, some people are never going to learn that. I think you either have it or you don't. And, you know, to me, that's what is really separating the elite guys from kind of everybody else. We're we're stubborn. Yeah, you have to be very stubborn. You know, and it's like I'm to the point where my biggest asset is I'm stubborn, but also my, you know, thing I need to prove on is I'm stubborn. Like I'll stick, I'll keep going to a spot. I'm going to kill this deer. Knowing that deer might have been killed or he's gone, but I just keep going, going probably when I should have 
you know, moved on. But also at the same time, I'll I'll keep going, you know, as long as you know, I can basically. Yeah. So this is a selfish question. I ran into this this year in Ohio uh, for a couple of different reasons. But say that you get to season opener and you don't have a deer to chase. You haven't located one yet through trail cameras or spotlighting or glassing. What's your process look like? Search for tracks, big tracks. If I can't find a deer, um, like we talked about the rubs, like sometimes bigger deer just don't rub, you know? So I'm looking for big tracks. So ditches, field edges, and I just, you know, go as light as possible and walk. And this year I did a lot in September. It was quite a few sits where I went out trying to cut tracks and nothing. I was back to the truck at dark, like right before dark. Like there's nothing there. All right, I, I scratch all this off. They're not feeding here. And I'm, I move on, you know, and just keep doing that till I find something. And this year it, it took a while to find a bigger set of tracks and a bigger deer. You know, it was a mixture of this. It was really dry this summer, uh, more, more pressure than usual in some spots and a spotty weird acorn crop. It was real heavy but sparse, you know, in some spots. So it was very, you know, it was like, it's either they were everywhere or they were like nowhere. So a lot of spots that usually produce just deer weren't there. And it was like, and it was hot too, like September. I mean, I remember leaving work going out. I'm like, it's like 95 degrees. Like I'm dying. And it's like, well, this spot's completely gone now because I just sweated it all up, but no big tracks. I just kept going and going and going until I found that one sleeping in the swamp basically. (laughs) came up on a buck sleeping in the swamp while leaving one morning, you know? So it was like those weeks where I didn't really see nothing, you know, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. I completely relate to that, especially this year. And it just, that mindset of, you know, you have a process in place, you believe yeah. in your process, you've fine tuned it over as long as you've been yeah. hunting a really long time. And 1942, 1942. <laughs> yeah. Graduated <laughs> high school. And, uh, it's, it's really cool to see people that have that process yeah. and they can stick to it and yeah. they don't vacate that plan. Yeah. They don't try something else. They just stick to yeah. it and just continue to work and work and work. And it was, I mean, there was some times where like, you know, you go out and like, this is it. Like you cut a nice track and, uh, I was trying to find water just to find like soft ground for a track. Cause it was so dry. Like even in the big woods I was hunting, like, cause it was just like, it was terrible. And I'm like, I cut the first nice track. I was like, this is it. This is what he's going to do. I know there's some bedding up here. It's like Laurel's going to come down. <laughs> I didn't see nothing. I didn't see a squirrel, but it's like, I felt it like this is going to happen. I'm going to kill. All I killed was time. And it was like, and then walking out, I was like, that's demoralizing. Like I felt it. Like I could feel it in the bones. And it was like, I didn't see a squirrel. I didn't see a bird. It was like a ghost town. But I'm like, well, next morning I'm back somewhere else. Like still positive and still ready to go. I mean, not on your level of positivity, but I was trying my best. <laughs> you know, how, how do you keep that confidence high throughout season when you're constantly just, you know, I, I don't want to call it a failure, but you're constantly just having that, you know, you go out and you just, you don't see any animals or you're just, you know, one step behind the deer at all times. It's knowing that it's going to happen. Confidence in your skill set, you know, with anything, you know, you, you have to believe it's going to happen. If not, you start getting doubt you start making bad decisions. You know, you're like, well, start second guessing your gut. Like for me, I trust my gut. Like I'll go like live or die by my gut. If I don't, if I'm not feeling the spot, I'm out, I'm getting down. If it's not there, it's not there, you know? And like Johnny Stewart's the same way. Like he'll, him and I have very similar like styles, like mindset, you know, it's like, if you don't feel it, leave. No sense of being there. If you don't feel it, cause you don't look around, maybe take a nap. Like when you should be ready to go, you're like, 
you're almost like a toddler. Like, I don't want to be here. You know, you're not focused at what you're doing 100%. So if it's not there, you know, move, go somewhere else, find the deer. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. I mean, that's exactly how I tried to focus on it this year was just, you know, maintain that confidence and just believe that I'm doing the right thing over and over and over. And, you know, it didn't end up panning yeah. out, but I can look back on my season after really a bunch yeah. of failures and say, you know what, I gave it everything I had and I stuck to my game plan. And that's really important yeah. to me. And I mean, I've gone three years while shooting a buck. You know, I've gone three years, a long time, not to see a shooter. I mean, those one season I seen a spike. It's the only buck I've seen in two and a half months of hunting. Like, that was the only season I basically quit right after gun season. I was like, I just, I wasn't seeing does. Like I just wasn't mentally there. I was like, I'm just wasting my time out here. So I just shot my bow a lot. Like I, you know, and then that off season, I really ramped up to scouting and next season I killed, you know, it's like, that was the only season I pretty much threw in the towel. I was like, this is just mentally I'm making mistakes. I should not be making. I'm going to get hurt. Like I'm just doing dumb things, you know, and I was hunting the marsh at the time. That's not the place you want to make bad decisions. You know, I'm riding a canoe in, not wearing my life jacket, and they're like, just being dumb. And I'm like, this is not the time to be dumb. You know, it's like being in the back country making dumb mistakes. You, you get hurt, you know. The last thing you want to do is you'll be stuck somewhere where you can't get out. Yeah, I completely agree, and that's a huge part of it too is just, you know, taking care of yourself, taking care of your body, and yep. take care of your mind. Yep. Um, well, man, we've been doing this for quite a while it's the first yeah. podcast ever so yeah. i appreciate you coming on yeah, it's man, been thanks for coming out you know yeah it's been awesome it was great learning i mean i can't wait for all this content to launch and drop it will be over on the latitude youtube yeah. when we finally get that put together but uh where can people find more about you instagram youtube you know bow hunting fiend you know i hate saying this but you can google my name you'll take you where you need to go you know it's all good stuff yeah it sounds good greg <laughs> well hey thanks again for coming on man yeah, i man, appreciate thanks it for coming out you know it's Hopefully people can see, you know, a different, you know, from your perspective and, and Derek's perspective, like what people like us do, you know, the salt marsh guys. Yeah. I know that listening to your podcast in the past, like I've learned so much from them and the ability to come out here and it was like light bulbs. I yeah. mean, how many times did I tell yeah. you like, that makes so much sense to me and I could never put it together. Yeah. But I think what's going to be really special about this is the fact that it's all going to be in video format as yes. well. And we're going to be able to put just example maps to that and all sorts yeah. of other things to just try to bring out those light bulbs for yes. everybody. So cool. I think it's going to be an awesome time, man. Yeah, man. It's great. All right. That is it for today's show. Thank you guys for listening. If you haven't yet, I'd really appreciate it if you'd head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next week. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.